0: You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Nordics podcast, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordic region. I'm Dan Majcek, I help companies connect with the best tech talent, and I'm your host. Today, I'm joined by Daniel, Ahmad, and Jonas to discuss how to build cross functional collaboration. Before we delve deeper into the topic, I'll work my way around the room with some introductions. So Daniel, do you want to kick us off?
1: Thank you very much for inviting me, Daniel. My name is Daniel London. I'm the head of product and service at Ortelius. We are a professional service company with a software arm as well. We, I work a lot with breaking down organization silos by creating what we call digital twins of organization as an enabler to break down these silos.
0: Perfect, and Ahmad will come to you next.
2: Yeah, thank you for having in this uh, podcast, Daniel. Uh, really happy to be here. My name is Ahmad Nawaz. I'm based in Sweden, working for Volvo Cars as a product manager uh, for vehicle software area in a digital space. In this role, I set the production of this area I'm responsible for. I create roadmap, maximize business value, uh, working with the stakeholders. My biggest motivation at work is basically learning new things, working with smart people and creating clarity for the team. Perfect. Really passionate about uh, software development, and my focus is to strengthen the existing and build new products.
0: Amazing, fantastic. Uh, Jonas, last but
3: not least, we'll come to yeah, you. Thank you. Um, my name is Jonas Bjork. I'm um, currently based in Sweden as well. <clears throat> I've spent uh, the last twenty-two years in the UK. Uh, I split my career in half. I've done transformation programs uh, as well as building product organizations. Uh, so uh, cross-functional collaboration in the enterprise or cross-functional collaboration within software business, uh, software development is uh, very near and dear to my heart. And so, um, yeah, looking forward to this podcast. Amazing. Cheers,
0: guys. So now that we've established a bit of context for each of you, we'll move on to the topic in focus. So you all have a question or statement on how to build a cross-functional collaboration. And as usual, I will work my way around the room asking each of you to pose your question and the reasons behind it. Each of you have the opportunity to give your take on the situation and we will kick off today's podcast with Daniel,
1: if that's OK. Thank you very much. And uh, as you all said, I'm excited to, to speak about this topic, uh, just like uh, both you, Jonas and Ahmad. Um, I've been working with this for quite a lot of a long time. Um, what I've seen the past few years or the past 10 years, actually, is, is an increased specialization uh, across organizations in general which led to increasingly siloed organizations. I've seen a lot of different methodologies, Safe Agile, the Hub-and-Spoke model, the Teal organization, et cetera, to manage this complexity and specialization. But what they all aim to do is is breaking down the silos, but actually getting people to talk, share information. So my question to you is, is, what's your experience? How can we share Information in a way which makes sense to the recipient, not just to the sender. Because yes. when I talk about product, I know what I mean. But if you're an engineer or if you're in, in sales or you're in finance, your perception of product will differ. So, what's your take? Uh, how can we uh, take information sharing and, and data-driven decisions when you don't even have the same paradigm?
3: Yeah, it's a it's a great question. Um, I can. Take the first punt at it, Amit, if you don't mind. Um,
1: So the
3: the, uh, all the frameworks that you mentioned, uh, they're getting a bit jargony, in my opinion, right? Uh, But as you say, they are all trying to achieve the same goal. So my uh, take on it is that every organization is unique, uh, and therefore uh, the way you apply cross-functional collaboration and um, agile principles at scale really is needs to be tailored. Uh, it needs first, you need to have a really strong idea of the uh, product, predominant culture within the organization and work with what is the way uh, people already naturally collaborate uh, and build on that. I would say that um, if you think about individual interactions, uh, the, the natural ability for humans to discuss and um, come up with uh, solutions to problems is should be roughly 80% of your focus, and then you can cap that off with 10% of process and 10% of tooling. So it, it, the, the, I think the natural um, socializable socializing ability that humans have is much stronger than uh, than a process or a system that uh, or a jargon uh, framework uh, that will you know try and solve the problem is my take.
2: thank you, uh, you brought a very good point there, and it's a really interesting question. You know, keeping all the methodologies, you know, Steve has been there, agile, Hub spoke, and there are a lot of mechanisms and methodologies uh, we have been using. But the main idea and the core idea is actually how to communicate, how to cross collaborate, and how to share that information. And uh, yeah, it's it's basically about establishing the, the communication culture, uh, uh, as rightly said by Jonas that uh, you know eighty percent of the time or effort uh, and the value we can generate is by communicating. Um, but going into the details, for example, uh, the best tool is is basically you know assigning a single point of contact for each function area. You know, when when we talk about cross collaboration, we talk about bringing different expertise into one area and get the best out of that area. Uh, So that that is a single point of contact. That could be a team, multiple people from that area itself. Uh, And also, what what is our goal towards it? For example, uh, I would very much like to see that setting the objectives and the key results uh, Is also needs to be part of uh, the, the communication as well uh, to set the clear direction, to set the clear goals. Okay, wh- what do we have to uh, see after end of uh, let's say quarter or in a year and so on? Uh, after once we done with this uh, cross collaboration uh, effort on specific project or you know product and so on. So uh, setting the right OK setting the single point of contact, and basically establishing. The communication culture, and then the tools, uh, you know, technology, different uh, methodologies. I mean, they they are they are there for help, but it's more about setting the structure in place.
1: A question to you, Ahmad, that I'd like to follow up on because the single point of contact is is a great concept, and and you're representing a a, a fairly large organization here in Sweden. you um, might take working with companies for ranging from ten to to thirty thousand people you often don't even know where to start. It's kind of a whisper game. I start by asking Ahmad, and Ahmad, you refer me to Magnus, and Magnus refers you to Susan, and th- that's her, all of a sudden it takes me even three to four weeks before I did find the first single point of contact. What, what's your, I mean, what's your experience there, Ahmad? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great uh,
2: more, you're touching the ground basically, and, and that's, that's a dilemma. You know, when, when we start any team Across collaborative work in the beginning, definitely that's the case. And uh, how to get around of it is basically, uh, as I said, you know, having a a clear directions, who is who. I mean, some sort of information put in place that this this focus area uh, having, let's say, ten teams, and each team is doing certain capabilities, and within that capabilities, X person is performing so and so. Responsibilities and so on, and he's an expert, or that team is expert. So that's how we make our uh, way around that problem. But of course, it takes it is time-consuming in the beginning, at least. Uh, I was more jumping into when when we have cross collaboration ongoing, and then there are multiple teams involved. Instead of asking, you know, it's it's a real-time scenario. For example, if I need to ask one single piece of information. I would be posting it out or sending an email or, or it could go to a larger forum. That will not give any any value because, uh, you know, everyone will be confused. Yeah, it's maybe not concerning my area and so on. So yeah, having having complete and direct communication uh, with the required, I mean, with the necessary people by finding uh, with that, uh, you know, organizational chart and so on and then team set up and, and then, you know, we have a lot of brilliant tools to to visualize that, part. but it's it's a dilemma, it's it's a challenge. Uh, yeah, but there are different uh, methodologies to work around it. You, Jonas, what do you think? I mean, have you yeah, experienced I, anything like that? I was just
3: uh, looking forward to jumping in on this topic. Um, <laughs> uh, so I worked for a large enterprise in the past with uh, seventy thousand people globally, and and, um, and the way that they aligned the mission, or, or should I say, the strategy, was on a vision-vision-execution framework, which is the cascade model, as you probably have experienced once in your careers. Um, and it didn't really work. because uh, It was too abstract for day-to-day work. And uh, now, thankfully, um, I'm I, I, working in an OKR model with an organization of about 2,500 people. Um, and I'm happy to say that that seems to be the right size organization um, to truly bring uh, an objective down to a, uh, a measurable KR, and then uh, linking uh, project work directly to that KR, um, you know, and driving driving a specific uh, measurable impact, and um, and there um, the accountability structure is traceable. Frankly, it, it, it's working. Uh, but yeah, I wonder at what point of the organization where it just simply is so so big. Uh, that either the OKR framework goes from the four that we have today, four objectives, to, you know, 15, <laughs> uh, each with um, a five or six um, child KRs uh, hanging off the objectives, and then, you know, you can do the maths. Uh, so it's it's a great question. Um, but yeah, OKR seems to work to a certain degree. I wonder what Google does. They obviously invented the OKR framework, I believe.
2: Yeah, interesting. Uh, thought. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Perfect. We will move on to Jonas's question next then, please.
3: Yeah, certainly. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit specifically within a software product development organization. Um, and it's sort of related, but I think it, it goes a little bit more into uh, how teams work together. So um, <clears throat> often you will have uh, design teams Software development teams and teams responsible for uh, delivery, uh, and I'm talking about uh, DevOps or uh, run maintenance teams in particular. Um, and they are expected, of course, to work harmoniously uh, and delivering um, continuously into into production, for delivering value to the customer on a continuous basis. Um, but of, but also uh, they are uh, agile evangelists and um, the teams are really of course um, keen to uphold the the principles of self-organization and autonomy. So again after a certain size um, the sort of the natural ability for humans to keep track of what people are doing I think um, the, the theory goes that over 150 people it's very difficult for the human brain to keep track of Uh, what's going on across uh, teams. What what I've seen happen is that um you know the design team will organize themselves around their particular agile uh, processes and and uh, principles and self-organize and then the software development and then the DevOps teams etc. Will do the same, and lo and behold, you start passing work across the three groups and you're not continuous and you're actually in some kind of weird waterfall model. <laughs>
1: uh,
3: so um, I'm really curious to hear uh, from you, Daniel and Amit, um, Amad, sorry. Uh, how you guys have managed to overcome uh, this particular conundrum. If you've seen it, uh, if you've solved it, I'd love to hear it. Um, so that's my question.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I'm not going to speak on, on your behalf, Ahmad, but I think I think everyone has seen this sort of agile methodology that that for some reason transitions back to the waterfall model once it hits the ground. The idea is great. Everyone is going to be sort of self-organized. We're going to focus on delivering value. We're not going to sort of uphold all these processes. And then all of a sudden, planning comes into place and priority becomes hard. Because for me, in my team, I'm doing the most important stuff this company has ever done. But every team feels the same. So, I mean, agile is not sort of excluding decision-making and an authority on a overall level and i think for me that's that's the key in this cross-team collaboration is it's actually making decisions it's not delegating the responsibility of decisions on what is the key priority it is actually increasing that level of of decision making what's your what's your take on on that perspective yeah
2: it's uh, definitely you know of the interesting area to look at uh, that, you know, working in a cross collaborative area, uh, you know, different software uh, development teams, uh, delivery teams and the, how they work in a harmonious way and they're delivering continuously, you know, following the methodologies uh, and so on. I think one important factor is definitely trust, you know, trusting the teams. Uh, that they they are delivering on that mission and also to in order to make it efficient uh, working on a common goal that is make more you know harmonious um, if we can somehow create enough clarity that it is you know all the cross collaborative effort is against one common goal which is definitely Really, really hard to do because software development teams, they come, they will focus on, on the development part. Design team, uh, delivery teams, they have their own focus. I mean, delivery team they are more focused uh, on, on some sort of operationalizing, for example. Uh, but all needs to be, ad- all needs to adhere to the methodology, the agile or, or whatever framework uh, that is being followed. So sharing the same common goal and trusting the team uh, to their best of their abilities and expertise because in a cross-collaborative area, that, that's that's really the key. Uh, so that's, that's super, super important uh, uh, to to in order to sustain it and also collaborate it in an effective way. That's, that's my take on this.
3: I was going to say how we're approaching it at the moment. Uh, it, I, I would say that the proof is in the pudding still a little bit. But um, uh, in essence, what what I have is um, uh, a uh, cross-domain or a cross-functional role at, at my current organization. And I have two types of individuals who are helping to bridge the gap between um, the, the, the domains. So the, uh, obviously the, the, the sort of the, the functional topics within the, the product organization is ordered around, uh, which tends to be personas persona experiences, and also then um, the different uh, organizational bodies like design software, DevOps I mentioned. And so uh, that organization structure is organized around that, but I am the one that is um, transversal. Uh, and my, I have a team of program managers, not project managers, program managers and agile coaches. And it's uh, what they do is essentially uh, facilitate the conversations that need to happen between uh, the, the pieces in the, in the organization structure, where there's no incentive organizationally or managerially to work together, these teams go in and essentially temporarily make, make the collaboration happen. Uh, so that's the first thing. So I, I sort of try to assign them in areas where I can see Dependencies on different teams that are not aligned organizationally. And then uh, that's more the program manager's role. And then on the agile coaches side, I have divided up um, our uh, methodologies or practices, as we call them, into what are essentially frameworks and recommendations. And uh, the idea is that frameworks are the non negotiable, top down, I'm sorry, uh Scrum team, but you just have to work within a two-week sprint cycle, or you have to do retrospectives at this in this certain way, because if we don't do it the same way, it totally breaks the system. And then the recommendations is well, you can do your refinement or your um your backlog refinement or you can do your um perhaps uh estimations in any in, in three different ways that we recommend, right? But you can choose your way. And so that way, what, what happens is that you kind of have a, um, a bit of a compromise that makes everybody happy. Uh, me is the portfolio responsible for the portfolio and delivery across the piece. I can get some continuity and consistency uh, across different teams, whereas the teams themselves feel like, okay, I'm not being micromanaged. I can choose the sort of my favorite way of doing a certain uh, ritual. So. Sort of embedding that in this year. Um, hopefully it'll, it'll work, but some since early signs are good. <laughs> not
1: the, yeah, sorry. Me, I'm, go I'm not, uh, if I might jump in. Yeah, there. So the, there is a, you're making an interesting point, and, and I've, I've seen both uh, what you describe is sort is of this cross-collaborative functions that that work as mediators between in between different functions. But I've also seen quite a lot of, of large organizations that dismantle that capability. Uh, they want to be sort of have autonomous organizations that are self-fulfilling. Uh, so so I mean as I introduced with this increased specialization it's going on still today. You're pushing out even more functions out into individual business units. And and you're tearing down these cross functional functions. Uh, I'm seeing this, and I'm I am confused. I'm a bit confused why why this is because I'm seeing the growth of this in in these sort of new upcoming uh, largely software development companies. I'm seeing this with companies like Pandora that that have a hub and spoke model where they have a centralized team and then they have these spoke model where you have teams out in the different functions that have a supporting function. So something two models emerging at the same time. One is, is increasing collaboration with a centralized support function, and others is pushing out these support functions to have individual ones out in the business units. And I, I'm, I'm confused. I'm confused to, to why, why I'm seeing two opposing things occurring at the same time. Uh, have you seen of any of this, uh, Ahmad or, or Jonas? Yeah,
2: I can give my input on this. Uh... Definitely, you have a point, and, and that, that exists. Uh, but the, the way we see it, I think that, that makes a difference. Uh, the thing is, we don't want to fit one size fits all uh, you know, approach kind of thing. Uh, therefore, we need to have these two different models uh, based on the needs, based on the use case. Maybe it's a, it's a huge, huge, huge organization, the second model uh, will fit in best where you need to have uh, the areas and then individual expertise needs to go in there uh, and stick around kind of uh, in a a permanent uh, way the other area is basically uh, you set up the cross collaborative area more on temporary or a bit on long term uh, and then work towards it and maybe that could be a time-specific need uh, let's say in two years' time we want to get there. We are not able to to move fast enough, and therefore we need expertise in one box, in one room, in one building, and then we need to uh, we can fast track it. So it's it's about it's it's on the use case, and if we see that okay that needs becoming permanent, uh, then of course the second model comes in, and then you know we we slip from one model to another, and vice versa. Based on the need, and that that's, that's uh, a situation I've seen, uh, and also it allows us to actually challenge uh, the 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 way we do things uh, are right or wrong. Right. Basically, nothing is wrong. At the same time, uh, we want to improve as well, and that that's uh, that's the thing we want to see. Maybe the cross collaboration platform or. or team or the setup, we have put in place uh, that is at that period of time but in two years later uh, that's that's not fulfilling or maybe we we foresee that some of these improvements are there and uh, we we take that opportunity Hmm. That's that's my view
3: yeah i would agree with Ahmad's uh, answer there i think it has a lot to do with the the rate of transformation that your organization happens to be in um, and the, maybe, again, the size, right? If you uh, are small enough for people to naturally collaborate and communicate across divisions, you may not need this uh, type of a transformational team, um, as we call it. Uh, but I think over a certain size, and if you have an ambitious roadmap, uh, they're needed um, to mediate a lot of um, what is essentially conflicts of prioritization, um, and then ways of working, as I mentioned already, uh, they just there needs there needs to be a third party uh, uh, a neutral party if you like that um, ensures that delivery still happens.
1: So. Yeah, and and thanks both of you. And then you bring an interesting uh, aspect of this Ahmad that that there's not I mean back to there's not one size fits all and and it's use case based. What whether or not you want to be specialized or cross functional. There are studies. Uh, there's an HBR article from a couple of years back that that says that 75% of all cross-functional teams are dysfunctional. They are not performing <laughs> particularly well, whereas specialized teams have a higher degree of of learning. They have a, a sort of steeper learning curve. You get into the topic at hand really quickly. Um, for me, there's there is a layer here. Because there's the layer of, of, as you're saying, Jonas, the communication part. That's the 80% or or 60%, no matter what degree you put on it. But in today's day and age, all teams and all team members, they generate huge amounts of information and data. And that, for me, is, is also a key element that you can have a specialized team, but it needs to be able to share its data and information to make it available for the rest of your teams. Uh, so there is a sort of degree of, of uh, communication on the human-to-human interaction, but there is also the collaboration and cross-functional team efforts on the machine-to-machine level, where you share data and information across teams. And I think that's also a level that you need to to address, that it's, once again, it's not one-size-fits-all. Um, and I, I assume, I mean, Jonas, you're in a software company right now, and then Ahmad. I assume your, your company is producing a lot of data at the moment.
2: Yeah, it's a lot of data and it's a lot of, uh, basically, uh, it's a transformation. So, you know, all, all the, regardless how, how your products are designed, uh, I, definitely the data is the key to, to make the right decisions, uh, to follow the right approach, uh, what our customer needs, uh, and how, how we make our product better. Uh, So that's that's all about data. And, you know, when we talk about customer needs, customer sentiment, uh, yeah, that's a totally different type of data. And regardless of any product, that that is needed. Yeah, anyway. And in terms of how you make your product better, then, of course, uh, you're talking about niche type of data. You know, you you, you look at uh, your core product, uh, you know, behaviors and how it is being used. Uh, what kind of vulnerabilities are there, and then we we include a lot of these, uh, you know, security aspects into that as well, uh, and also authenticity of the data as well. So yeah, absolutely, it's it's a lot of uh, data-driven depro- approach we are following. Uh, but at the same time, I must say, you know, even the products like vehicle, uh, Volvo is manufacturing, we talk about a lot of this software centric approach in that because the way we, we see the, our product is basically uh, yeah the, you know the, like like a gadget i mean the way you communicate with your phone is the same uh, your car does today so we don't want a car only to work uh, for a to b but also it needs to it needs to give a lot of other experiences uh, that uh, that really we want to capture that and we want and that hasn't been shown i mean we look at uh, for example uh, uh, the 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 origin of ipad you know i, I was reading an article uh, that was created with an approach uh, steve job wanted to have some sort of uh, a device which worked as a computer and at that time, everyone said, "No, it's not going to work." I mean, we already have a computer and we have a phone. Why do we need an iPad? But I think, as I see it, it's it's become the necessity now. So it's all about how your products are structured and how you you take the decision based on the data uh, that you have in hand about your product and the customer needs and the sentiment. And of course, you you don't need to uh, fix. I mean, your mind. Uh, I can another. I mean, I there was a really good talk from one of my colleagues about innovation, and he he quoted uh, Henry Ford uh, uh, quote as well that he if he wanted to ask if he wished to ask from his customer what do you need they would have said we need faster horse but look at the cost today or look at any product they they have been evolved so much. And then it, it becomes totally different ballgame uh, and landscape uh, about the systems about uh, how, the, uh, how our product works how we interact with that yeah
3: hmm. yeah i mean data is key and central so uh, I, through the brands and the organization i work in now we have tens of millions of monthly users right so uh, of course we track <laughs> their interaction with our with our websites and and we do that whole uh, you know product marketing and product management uh, connection there so that's that's tables table stakes for us but and i'm not involved in that so i won't speak to it so much but where I find data coming in handy for me um in my sort of role as transformation leader is that um <clears throat> I'm able to uh to to thanks to my uh, colleagues in the enterprise space uh, look at um how uh code is being uh developed uh, and what is the what is the the code that is being worked on and checked in? Is it something we would consider legacy? Uh, that's some something we should be looking to retire or move away. Um, or, and also, you know, which which capabilities is it that people are working on and how much? And that is absolutely uh, crucial information in my role um, when it comes to um, uh, planning our our uh, roadmaps, uh, making sure that we're. Uh, aligning our tech radar towards in the direction we want to be to stay top of our game, uh, to speak to finance. <laughs> we always have a lot of questions, of course, about cost uh, and capitalization, etc. And um, so so I'm loving how, um, uh, you know, in the last few years, I'm getting a lot of Great data um, up all way down from in the code repository uh, levels up to to make uh, strategic decisions for me as a transformation leader. So that's really helped um, I think uh, everybody along a lot.
1: Yeah, I I think so too. And then I mean, it's getting better uh, by the day. There's still quite a lot of uh, challenges uh, where where we design software to support a workflow, but perhaps not. Data sharing. It's, it's quite quite a different thing to, to ensure that, that uh, I mean I, I was talking to my support t- technician for my car the other day and he said, well, essentially you have a mobile phone on, on wheels. Of course there's gonna be bugs, uh, but they've designed the car to generate data in a sensible way so they can enhance the sort of future features and functions uh, across the entire team. For marketing, for sales, for engineering, for aftermarket and service, all these, they, they use the same core of data, but they can make different analysis. They can work cross-functional in their efforts in developing the next product, the coming product. And, and for me, that's a, that's a level of, of cross-functional collaboration as well, to ensure that we're actually looking at the same basic information and data when we make our decisions. It is not, I look at my data and this is my data. They don't they don't match and therefore we don't agree. Yeah, I agree on the same goals
2: by, by data sharing and looking at the right uh, information out there. So absolutely that's that's one of the key. It's not only okay, it's my gut feeling. You know, whenever you want to take any decision, there are always at least at least two factors to be one is data, for example, and the other part is, yeah. How, how are we doing? And you know, basically checking on uh, is that strategy really working? And then, complementing, uh, complementing with the with the data itself. And that that's you 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 seldom fail if you have these two combinations. Uh, at least these two two combinations. I I really would like to ask the unis you know, from you that you know in your transformation journey, are you also or how are you balancing? Uh, the technical transformation and the business transformation. So business transformation, I, I can give some examples. for example, evolution from you know one version to another uh, or one totally different product to uh, to a next level, which is totally providing totally different capabilities, but being on the same uh, same same level, uh total new platform, lot of interactions, a lot of uh, more capabilities and so on. and technical transformation is basically. You know updating your infrastructure so that it can meet the demands uh, on the scalability the performance we talk about data i mean there uh, there weren't a lot of data back in the days 10 years 10 years ago and now we are talking we're talking about huge thumb. so uh, are you also focusing on these two parts and how are you balancing that In fact, taking a lens transformation
3: yeah yeah it's a great question uh, in fact uh... We set out some ambitious goals uh, for the next uh, three to four years, which I'm sure every company has done. Uh, but for once, we we also decided that let's let's invest two months in really coming up with what is our five-year um, strategic roadmap, and it it is. That is not the technical roadmap, right? That's very important because technical roadmaps that that distance forward is simply impossible. But actually, on the business side, you can say, "I want to be the market leader here," or "I want to develop this capability there," and the the components of these these strategic components together is what we believe to be the way to unlock our you know X ex, um, target revenue or market share or whatever, right? So, so we were very lucky to. Um, get the time to to actually get in a group um, and and really uh, plan out, you know, uh, sort of modularly what kind of um, abilities the commercial organization would have over the next few years, and then then we went into the point where we looked at okay, um, what capabilities would we need to have as an organization to be able to provide these kind of services in two, three years' time. And so that that then developed into what is essentially a capability roadmap. Uh, And and then what we do is uh, from there, we build projects, uh, which are often uh, touching multiple um, capabilities, but that bring value incrementally to our customers along that um, top-level business uh, roadmap. the 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 challenge I guess is uh, so that that's that works very well uh, so you you know basically have um, a, a, a long term business view that we update um, a quarterly roughly and then we've, we're working our software development cycles obviously much much quicker soft uh, iterations at the bottom. Um, but um, uh, what was really the game changer is, is uh, getting an OKR framework um, to to, to sit across all of it. Because otherwise, you, you have, uh, in essence, the, the age-old conflict of uh, are you led by the commercial team or are you led by the product team? And both are right you know, often, right? Uh, <laughs> and it creates natural friction. But an OKR framework, which is enterprise-wide, um, as simple as possible, but but the, the main thing is enterprise wide, so it's a comprehensive. That then uh, helps you mediate through all those conflict of interests in terms of of reaching the goal. So um, yeah, it, it's it's yeah we're, we're sort of on that journey right now. So I can't say exactly if it's uh, bore all the fruit, but I feel like it's a good strategy.
2: Yeah, no, really like the mapping between uh, the, the business and the strategy part into the technical part. Uh, Key would be i mean it's really great to hear that you you came up with that strategy and then you mapped down towards technical and then what kind of capabilities that you need and invest on uh the key is basically finding the right balance because investment wise and the time and the effort and so on that is something needs to be spent yeah uh, where the most uh that that would be the key uh that, that yeah to reduce, yep. uh-huh.
3: Exactly, and that's why the culture of the organization, the prevailing culture of the organization, understanding it, and in a way making use of it, not trying to change it, uh, is the most important thing, because um, that's the human aspect, if you like, the soft side of it, which is the bit that you can't um, put a process around or uh, put, you know, put systems and toolings to solve. Right? It's it's very important, Hence, back to that eighty percent people and interactions 10% process 10% tooling um, just yeah it's, it's obviously not scientific but guidelines
0: <laughs> perfect Um, we will finish off today's podcast with you Ahmad if that's okay
2: cool I yeah so uh, I actually wanted to talk about uh, yeah I yeah, picked up the use case uh, you know the challenge uh, we have seen in the bigger organization and um, they are separate uh, verticals, you know, people with different backgrounds, people with different expertise, this development team is working mainly focusing on, you know, development stuff. auto. and there is a program management team who wants to keep everything together. Uh, that's, that's another vertical in the, in another organ- in uh, different organizations, uh, design part, uh, when we talk about, you know, the end product design is happening somewhere else, uh, quite early in the phase. Uh, that's all done and dusted. Uh, but then, when it comes to the development part, uh, you know, they 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 have a lot of back and forth, uh, you know, questions around how how to make things work uh, technically. For example, how to to finalize this product development uh, based on the UX design, the one was created and launched and agreed and so on. And the program team or program management team is is there. Uh, I actually wanted to talk about how. how so they align and collaborate in an efficient way. And also really, really important, uh, is that how about the accountability part and the decision-making process? Because it's not that the UX part was done, uh, let's say six months ago, and the program management team was given a mandate that, okay, this is a program we need to deliver, uh, and so on, so uh, the time frame, markets, and the uh, different regions and so on. And then there comes the development but still accountability needs to, mm-hmm. to be there. And how in a cross-functional organization, or a setup, how does, does this phenomenon of accountability work uh, and the decision-making process? Uh, Jonas, if uh, you, you should want to share your view the starting. Should I start? Then, Daniel, yeah. do
3: you want to start? I, I was just talking, so. No, you, you start, Jonas. Okay. okay. Yeah. Uh, um. Yeah, so, i think the answer lies into having a product mindset uh in essence uh, and what what a product mindset what's really important about a product mindset is that um the the product owner or product manager whichever way you like to call him or her uh is actually responsible not just for uh the development of the product in terms of um, understanding the features, um, uh, and making sure that the development and the design is meeting the needs of the requirements, and, and and maybe delivering into to production. But it's also there to ensure that commercially the product is hitting the value, the goals of um, what it's set out to do. So it is it, it it's kind of the, the product manager in a way is the general manager of an organization is a way you can look at it. They have their fingers in all the pies in order to make this uh, unit within uh, your business operate effectively and it gives them also a bit of autonomy uh, within the frameworks that i was saying before Um, the program managing teams what they do is essentially make connections between multiple units like this product units Uh, because yes products cannot uh, be bigger than a certain size then they become that unruly the product manager cannot scale uh, to keep control over all the the dimensions i talked about so a program manager is really there to help to orchestrate between multiple products in the journey towards the strategic goals so i think um you know and within the product you mentioned ux you mentioned product um, development and then program management i think what you're missing there is a product manager uh, within a product itself, we call it, uh, I think, not just we, everybody, I think in the product world, there's a triage right between um, uh, product tech and UX, and um, in scrum ceremonies, they all uh, chime up and they they provide their um, uh, inputs and, and, and uh, influence the backlog, but ultimately, the product manager has that extra level of responsibility to make sure that it hooks on to the commercial realities and the commercial targets of what we're trying to achieve. And I think that is the key uh, to solving the problem.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And uh, I, I talk about the life cycle of, of the product, that, that the product owner is not a product owner from sort of, idea to engineering is complete and you have a bill of materials the life cycle actually extends through production to sales all the way to aftermarket and and essentially cradle to cradle for me that that's the product owner's responsibility and you cannot you cannot give that away you cannot say in my opinion that well once we've shipped it it's someone else's problem that's that's for service and aftermarket Th- that mindset will not will not be a commercially viable in the long term you can do quick sort of short-term wins by, by by skipping some of those steps by just get shipping the product out the door but it will hurt your organization in the long end or the long run and uh, I I mean working with these different teams I usually start by asking them quite a simple question what information and data do you need to create the best version of of the product you're about to create you can take that to your UX and design team. You can take it to your development team. But asking them, what is it that you need to be successful? Starting with that question is is what I always do. Um, then my my job when I enter that role, as I've done in in certain times in the past, I, then I facilitate that. I will facilitate these sort of meetings that need to happen. You need to talk to this person. Scrum and and the agile approach is a way of Facilitating communication as well, but but it doesn't exclude the product owner and their, it's a very important role in all of this. It's not a it's not a ten percent, twenty percent job. It is a full time job to to own a product, and and I think that's a key to 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 what you're asking about, uh, Ahmad.
2: Yeah, w- very good. Uh, I got a lot of uh, in- input on this, and uh, to be honest, it's really. Uh yeah, uh, that is the key, basically uh, having full ownership, and then ultimately having a full accountability, as well as uh, you know, then naturally the decision making comes uh, uh, by default with it. So absolutely, this is uh, yeah, that's definitely the key. Uh, otherwise, if if each uh, individual or each individual team is working or taking the C and taking the, their ownership or only their part, the whole product will. Will not work, uh, yeah, as it should, and also uh, provide or not generate the value in, um, in a short period of time at least. It needs to be a lot of uh, uh, you know checkpoints that needs to be met and so on. So then then it's basically become a waste. Yeah, but it's it's, it's really crucial to, to to create that kind of culture. Yeah, it, it's about shifting the mindset. You know, everyone wants to yeah ha- have an easy job, right? <laughs> Yeah, it's not my responsibility. It's yours to take it and, and stuff like that. So it's about uh, yeah the mindset and the culture and uh, yeah. how we collaborate and work. Yeah, there
1: there is an element. I don't I don't know how prevalent it is in in your companies, but but I've also seen that that sometimes the product owner and the product manager role is considered an organizational entity. Meaning I have a development team or an engineering team, and I have a Sir, sure. I have I have a team ownership, but it's more about the team than the actual product. Uh, what what's it like in your organization? Is this is the product owner or product manager is it a team lead role or is it a product role? No, we are we are
2: it's end to end. I mean the idea is to have complete ownership. It's not on if I look at conventional uh, times I mean the uh, supervisors and team leads and uh, map it or want to map it to, towards uh, product ownership. And then definitely it's it's the wrong way to think about it. It's a complete ownership, completely different way of thinking and handling the 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 entire thing, entire uh, and also basically ask I mean ask questions, ask the right data, uh, ask the right information, ask the right people, ask the right team members. I've been closely working uh, uh, and had some, some interactions quite in a deep level with uh, companies like uh, AWS and Google. I also worked in uh, a company called Teradata. Uh, that's a US-based company. And there, the culture is basically everyone is really willing to help and support at any given time, regardless if it's your project it's your domain. But if somebody asks I still have I mean, really really good friends from from those companies whom I'm work, who I work with with very less time uh, but you know the, it's, it's about the culture it's about the mindset and the willingness to support oh. and instead of saying yeah that's not my job sorry I can't help so can't uh, want and those kind of words almost never or don't exist in those uh, in those arenas. I don't think that's, that's a major, uh, yeah, huge factor of the success.
0: Perfect, guys, really enjoyed that. Um, we'll leave it there today then. This has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank Daniel, Ahmad and Jonas for providing their insights into the topic. And thanks to everyone for listening. If you'd like to get involved in one of our upcoming podcasts, reach out to me on LinkedIn or by email at daniel.mycheck at evolution-nordics.com. And we'll see you next time. Cheers, guys.